think about the name of your gathering. Absolutely. If you organize a meeting, doesn't matter what kind of meeting, even if it's just coffee catch up with a colleague that you haven't spoken to in a few weeks, think about how you name that gathering. And can you, by naming it in a certain way, get across what the purpose is? and welcome to Experiential Spark. In this episode, we'll be exploring The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker, a book all about how we meet and why it really matters. This book makes the seemingly unimportant very important. We notice that sometimes we can take the way we gather and gatherings as such for granted. And actually, when you think about it, time is really our most important currency and gatherings is one of the main ways we actually spend our time. So why don't we spend it as best and valuable as we can? And as such, we thought we could share this book with you, share our personal reflections on what we've taken out of the book, and also what it means for us together with those that mean a lot to us. When you think about gatherings, you can actually think about big, small, face-to-face, virtual, really all types of gatherings. So also all the examples that we will share today, they will probably be linked to either, for example, a face-to-face or a virtual gathering, but you can really use all of the examples in every way, shape or form that you want to use them. And not just thinking about all types of gatherings, but also about how gathering has really changed for us over the course of the, the pandemic. And I think many of us feel, both in a personal and professional way, the real absence of powerful, meaningful connection and gathering. And I think we're in a moment here where we, for example, with my university friends who I've not seen for a long time, I might think that just simply being together in a room is enough for us to deeply reconnect and rekindle those friendships. And actually, that's not going to be enough. We need to really rethink through the purpose and the way that we gather to get the most out of that time. And that's really where the book begins to highlight the purpose of thinking about gathering and i.e. the art of gathering itself. The way Priya Parker has structured the book is almost in a chronological way of how a gathering would go. So the steps that she discusses in one overview, and we will go through some of them later on, it starts with gathering with purpose. So think about why are you meeting? Then from that, you start to make practical choices that actually connect to that purpose. You then start to think about what your role is as a host and how you can actually be during the gathering as a host. It goes then into how you can spice up your gathering with pop-up rules, how you can use different formats, and also at what time you're going to add in your guests and start to involve them in what's going to happen. You then also can think about what you do or not do during the opening and also how it ends. These are all very important moments during a gathering and Priya really adds a separate chapter to all of these steps to explain what you can and cannot do and how it can actually help you to get more value out of your gathering. So the first step is around gathering with purpose and to start thinking about why do you meet. Now, I don't know how it is for you, but there are actually plenty of gatherings that I just either go to or organize without thinking about it for two seconds. Why am I actually gathering more than just, oh, I have not seen Claire for so long. Why don't I send her a text? 
and we get together for a video call and discuss how, mm. how things are going and how we are. And actually, probably most of the time you will still get value out of that gathering. But what if there's a way that you can actually get even more value out of the gathering? And the first step to take is to start to think about why, the purpose. And I'd like to share actually a personal reflections that I recently had at the same time while starting to read this book. So in <laughs> real time, I was actually starting to think about the purpose because my husband and I, we were discussing that we wanted to organize a dinner party for our close friends that were actually connected to our wedding party. And it started just as a, let's just organize a dinner party and see where we go. But then I started reading this book. And as the book talks about What's the purpose of the gathering? I started to think about, well, actually, what is the purpose of the gathering for me? And from there, I started to discuss this, obviously, with my husband. What is the purpose of this gathering for him? And do these purposes actually connect or not? Do we both want to get the same from this dinner party? Yes or no? And how can we get to the same purpose together and from there start to organize the dinner? It became quite clear for us from the first moment that we started to discuss this, that we had the same purpose for it. And it already started to open up so many thoughts about how we wanted to organize this. So I won't actually share the purpose in this episode because we're still real time planning this dinner party. But what I will share is that we will try to get a spark episode from this chapter in the book. So we will come back to you later on that. And I will share a little bit more on how it went in that dinner party, because that's going to be my real life experiment with the art of gathering. So to be continued, what I wanted to share was that the fact that we had thought about the purpose together and very roughly, it made it very easy for us to make choices. And one of the choices that we had to make was, are we going to go ahead with this dinner? Yes or no. When two guests said that they would no longer join on the expected date because we had so clearly in our minds what the purpose of the gathering was we felt instantly that we could no longer do the dinner if those two guests were not present so we would postpone this dinner obviously we were like disappointed that it wouldn't happen on the day itself but we had no hard feelings at all because it was so clear to us that we wanted to organize a dinner party with this certain purpose in mind. And for this certain purpose to happen, we needed all guests present. I wanted to share this story with you because this is where I think the value starts. If you know very clearly for yourself what the purpose is of your gathering, it's going to make it so much easier to make choices, invite the right people, Everything else that you need to think about when you start to organize a gathering, that's going to save you so much time and it's going to help you a whole lot in organizing it. And that's actually also the second step, making practical choices that flow from that purpose. One of the things that Priya Parker says in the book is that usually when we organize a gathering, we start with the practicalities and not with the why. And you should definitely turn it around and start with the why. Um, so one of the examples from my previous role was around um, a practical choice that flowed from the purpose of a selection panel. So we had two companies that merged and during that process we needed to make hiring decisions from both sides essentially, so from both companies into the future company and make those hiring decisions across those two talent pools of people. And uh, we'd set up a selection panel meeting with the purpose to 
ratify, to confirm the decisions uh, that have been proposed. But really importantly in that was to make sure that vice presidents, so the senior people, really owned and felt ownership of those decisions. So what did we do in terms of the practical choices that we made? So we set up the room for this panel in a really specific way. So the first thing we did was create one central table where all of the VPs would sit, so the key people that had the hiring decisions. So regardless of the company they were from, if they were a VP, if they were owning that decision, they were in that central table. To the side of that table, we brought technical discipline heads, so people that really knew their organisations and the talent within those organisations from both organisations, they sat on the same table deliberately so that they were equal in the room. They sat on the same table, but to the side, adjacent to the decision-making table. And then there were a couple of VPs who didn't have key hiring decisions to make, but they were important, but they weren't the ones at the end of the day accountable. And so we sat them to the back of the room. And this was deliberate so that they could be there if they were needed and called upon but they weren't part of that central table that needed to own the decisions. So the way that we set up the room helped to create implicit roles and power dynamics in the room that we actually wanted to encourage in order to get to the purpose, which was that central group of people owned those recruitment decisions. Did you actually get any feedback after that session? Did people notice the deliberate setup of that room or not so much? Not so much. No, I don't think so. I think what was amazing was the amount of work that we got to do in the time. So people thought we were mad for what we were trying to achieve. But one thing I definitely noticed was people who were typically vocal and not necessarily front and centre to decisions were not vocal. So that implicit role set up of being at the back of the room and being needed to be invited into the conversation, from my observations, played out. Yeah. And this actually links quite well to the next step where actually when you are in a gathering or also already a bit before, as this shows with the setup of the room, it's around how you view and own your power as a host Mm -hmm. of the gathering. One of the terms that Priya coins in the book is ruling generously. So within the word ruling we both sort of felt the controlling bit of it, like how much control do you have over the gathering and exert as a host. But then the generously part is so much more open and free and friendly. So we are both still, I think, searching for like, what is the exact, (laughs) it's a fine line between controlling versus being friendly yet authoritative over what you wanted. And I think an example of where I can really buy into generous authority is in my role as a facilitator. So when you might be inviting people to introduce themselves or give feedback, your role to rule there with generosity is to ensure that everybody has equal airtime. Why? Because when you're facilitating a learning experience, You want people to feel equal and comfortable to speak up. So generous authority might look like cutting somebody else off because you want to hear from somebody who hasn't spoken yet. Or it might mean taking someone to the side to say, actually, I think you were quite domineering in that conversation. How do you think that made others feel? Which is an uncomfortable conversation for me. But in my role as a host, where the purpose of the event is for everyone to get 
an experience from that, then I need to facilitate that and rule with generous authority. Another example where generous authority plays out in our world today is just how tempting is it when some of you are in the office to go in a room together and some of you to dial in to a virtual call. So you have this mixed experience of face-to-face and virtual. And everyone is having different interactions then with that meeting or with that gathering. And actually it is generous authority to say we should all have the same platform or basis to play from. And so as much as it would be great that the four of us out of the six are in a room, how does it feel for the other two? And holding people to account to creating that equitable experience. One of the other things that Priya talks about in the book, which was a really fun concept um, and also flows from the sense of controlling or not, is to spice up your gathering with pop-up rules, so temporary rules and fleeting formats. So things that exist for the moment of that gathering And Maluka, when we were still working together in Poland, did exactly this for a leader day that we had. It was around leadership and we really wanted to inspire the leaders in the room. These were a mix of very experienced leaders, but also leaders who were just getting started in their role. Mm -hmm. And I think for everybody, leadership is such a broad term and you really need to think about what is my leadership? What do I think is important in leadership? Personally connect, right? Personally connect to what it means to you. Have that visceral gut instinct feel about it. Yeah, exactly. And it might not actually come from within. So I think especially with something like leadership, it's nice to actually get inspired by other leaders. And there are so many books written about leadership. There are so many songs written about leadership. So we were thinking, how can we inspire the people in the room in a different way than what we have done so far by just sending an email with an interesting article, for example, or sharing a YouTube video. So what we did is we actually, during the lunch break, we completely turned around the room and within the room, we did several things. We put up leadership quotes on the wall. We put up actually a YouTube video quite loudly. We picked a couple of books that were around leadership or elements that we think or thought in that in that context are important for leadership. And we tried to recreate those books in 3D in the room. One of the main examples I have in my mind right now is who moved my cheese. We actually put a big block of cheese in the room. Um, <laughs> sort of it made people... I remember people... that vividly. <laughs> it sort of made people guess like, hmm, what could, could this be about? So we had objects in the room. And what we tried to do was make it very sensory in the sense of you could smell clearly cheese. Uh, you could listen, you could read. There were so many elements that gave input to everybody who walked into that room to get inspired and to take from different elements that spoke to them. Again, this sensory room only existed for the short amount of time after lunch break. We took it down, but it really helped to get people thoughts going around the topic of leadership and what it meant to them. So that was really nice. And it's also important when you're thinking about gathering to ready your guests, get your guests involved in a way before it even starts. And that can take really different formats. So it might be as simple as as I did just last week, having obviously recently read the book, emailing um, the expectations I have of a virtual meeting the day in advance. So I was setting up a new learning group 
and I just simply emailed the day before really looking forward to seeing you all tomorrow so I can get to know you and we can all get to know each other please have your camera on where possible and also I'm going to ask you to share a little introduction about yourself and these are the four things that I'd like you to cover and I had emails back from people to say thank you very much for sharing that so I know what to expect tomorrow so it just got people primed and ready for the meeting especially if you're going to ask people to do something it often helps some people to know in advance another way as well is through ushering so this is about how do you get people into your space and I'll draw an example here to help you think about how you might do this from our wedding so one of the key elements about our wedding was just how important our friends and family are to us as part of who we are And so in the passageway, which was the bottom of a staircase, we had a big screen and it showed photos of us with all of our friends and family. So it was a reel of photos going round and round. But they deliberately were not photos of things that Tom and I have done. So my husband and I, they were deliberately things that we had done with our friends and family because that was what was important to us. And we wanted to spark memories of our times together, not just of oh, look at what Tom and Claire have done, and aren't they a fun couple? It was much more about priming us to think about our memories as a collective whole wedding guest group. Yeah, and maybe to add, up until now, a lot of the example that we've shared in the different steps might sound very big and creative and that require a lot of effort and time to think about it and execute it. But these things can also go in very small ways. So for example, in the priming and how to get your guests ready before it even starts, think about the name of your gathering. If you organize a meeting, doesn't matter what kind of meeting, even if it's just coffee catch up with a colleague that you haven't spoken to in a few weeks, think about how you name that gathering. And can you, by naming it in a certain way, get across what the purpose is of that gathering or what you expect from the other folks in the meeting that they deliver to you or what kind of value you want to take from it? So rather than naming it meeting Claire slash Marluke, can you name it haven't seen you in a while? How are you? For example, it's just a different way of priming the people in the gathering. And that can be very small. We, um, uh, I joined a, a training session on virtual meetings and doing virtual meetings well. And this, this exact thing came up. And the guy leading that training shared an example where a financial controller had financial control checks meeting for themselves and the business leads. And guess what? No one came um, or hardly anyone <laughs> came. And it was a really dry, painful meeting. I'm sorry to all my finance colleagues out there. I'd come, I promise. But they, so the guy uh, spoke to the individual who was running the meeting and, and drew out what was the purpose And then how do we name it effectively? And they changed the name of the meeting to keeping this business running. And they just changed. So, you know, and in the content of the invite, it was something along around, you know, I keep us operational so that you guys can make the money. Please come to this meeting type of thing. And it was just that changing. And the meeting was more energized as a result as well. Just simply people were there. So that's a win for for everyone. So up until now, we've spoken a lot about preparational steps before the actual meeting, before the actual gathering. But what happens when the meeting or the gathering starts? You have an Mm -hmm. opening. And as much as we might not want to think that this is really important, it actually is. And this may be something that you've heard before, but 
it's scientifically proven that our brain usually focuses on or remembers the first 5% of a gathering, the last 5% of a gathering, and some moments in between that matter to us. So your opening and your closing of the event really do matter. And it's important that you pay attention to it and that you make it worthwhile. One of the things that Priya mentions in the book, and it's also something that she mentioned in the chapter around purpose, don't start with logistics. Don't start with practicalities <laughs> because that's not something that people will remember. And especially if you created a passageway, if you usher them in a certain direction and they step into your temporary world that is the gathering, people are waiting for something to happen. And if you then start to talk about, as what she mentions, for example, during big meetings that people say, oh, there's a car outside that's parked wrongly. That's not going to spark people to be excited about what's going to happen. It will take them out of the vibe that you've worked so hard for to get them in in the first place. Mm -hmm. So really be conscious about how you want that opening to look. And again, this can also be a really small thing. She mentions in the book that it's nice to actually wow your guests from the moment that they come in. This is also a way of an opening. And I've done that personally myself over this Christmas period that I had guests over. My family came for dinner and I made sure that the table was already made completely. The lights were on, the candles were burning, the plates were set. And the moment my grandma walked in, her response was, wow, she felt really welcome. She felt really grateful to be there. And she really loved it. It made her feel special in a way. And that's what mm. you want to achieve with your opening. So once you've opened the gathering, you need to get into the meat of the gathering itself. And one of the things that will stem from your purpose, which we keep coming back to and reminding you of, is whether or not you want to introduce what's called good controversy with care. So are there some topics that actually need to be aired among this group of people that are gathering or in order to get a really meaningful outcome? How often might we gather and we never really get to the heart of the topic because we're scared of introducing controversy with care? And I wanted to share from the book, she interviews someone who talks about how they make the space safer for people to share their controversy or really bring the, their whole selves, that phrase, bringing your whole self to something and being real in the room. And he talks how he draws a swimming pool on the board that he's facilitating on. And obviously as some swimming pools go from shallow to deep and he says, in this room, you can go as deep as you want. You can share your deepest, darkest secrets with us and that's okay. Or equally, you can stay shallow, but you need to get wet because getting wet is where the real stuff happens. And I shared that with a, top, uh, with a group recently. And I said to them, you know, we all have masks that we wear in our day-to-day -day lives. In this sessions, when we come together, I want you to take the mask off. And the way that you can do that is by jumping into the swimming pool. So I don't care where you jump in, but you've got to get in. You've got to wash that mask off and be your real self. Bring real stories into it. And there'll be lots of other things that you guys will have used in workshops before around, you know, the Vegas rules, what happens in the room stays in the room, the Chatham House rules around you can talk about things but never give away who it was. Again, it goes back a little bit to that fleeting format or those pop-up rules, but getting those rules right or the boundaries, the rules of the playground right for a session will enable people to feel safe to talk about what's really going on. And that might be the purpose of your meeting. So think about how you're able to introduce good controversy. And maybe to add, 
those pop-up rules are really important to mention to the people in the room, in the gathering, so that <laughs> yeah. everybody knows what the rules are. Sounds but, obvious, but really important. <laughs> really important, but don't do it at the start. Don't let that be your opening. Unless you do it in a way that it doesn't feel like you're just practically sharing what the rules are. Yeah. And it just reminds me of how often within work session, we start with put yourself on mute, share yeah. in the chat. Like it's important that we have the rules at hand, but just don't start with it. I think that's the most important message Absolutely. that we want to share here. Absolutely. And that brings us to a step that is the last one. It's often a step that we, again, don't think about, I think, too consciously, but every gathering ends. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. I don't like it. It ends. No, it's going to last forever. <laughs> Fun times forever, Maluka. Don't make it stop. I think this is actually... <laughs> you can tell the, you can't actually end a gathering right now. <laughs> yeah, and also this, I think, is actually the title yeah, of the chapter, except that there is an end. No. <laughs> exactly. Don't listen to my advice. Listen to Priya Parker. She's way more sensible about this than I am. Yeah. <laughs> and similarly to the opening, think about how you want the meeting to end. Be purposeful. Be mindful of how you want it to end. In the same way as you don't start with logistics, don't end on logistics. And find a way to work around that. So, right guys, we're coming to the close today often we do thank yous find a way to say thank you in a really meaningful way that honors that other person so i want to thank maluka for her energy her positivity and her creativity in today's inspiring event i want to thank my cat who is currently staring at the door to get out of the room that i'm recording in but she's not meowing loudly which is a bonus because you, then you're not hearing her uh, <laughs> for example <laughs> but the purpose here is is it's not to end with just a list of thanks Maluka, thanks my cat, thanks this, but to, to really keep in theme and in step with your purpose to close out that event. And similarly to the way you usher people into the meeting, it is also possible to create almost an exit line, a way where you create a passageway that people go away from this temporary world that you've created back into everyday life. That will also help to let people step back into normal life and have that feeling of an understanding of this gathering has ended. The pop-up rules no longer apply right now. We have ended what we were doing together in this moment. And for those of you who do yoga, I think one of the simplest ways that closing clearly ends one state and enables you to go into the next state is that um and putting your hands together at heart and bowing your head you know once for those of you who've done that kind of exercise class or, or that kind of experience you know that that's finished and you might still be sat in that place but you know that the gathering has ended yeah. um and if you listen really closely, Maluka and I have our own ending, which is a very high-pitched bye at the end of our podcasts. <laughs> so you know it's time to stop listening. <laughs> Please, God, you've made it that far. <laughs> so as the gathering has ended, so did all the steps. So in summary, what were all the steps that we discussed today? It all starts with why, as Simon Sinek would say. Gathering with purpose. Think about the why. Think about the purpose of the gathering. From that purpose, you start to make practical choices. One of which is, and think about what is your role as the host. 
and how can you own your power as the host, but rule generously. We have discussed how we can spice up our gatherings with pop-up rules and some formats. We have discussed how you can also get your guests ready for the gathering even before it starts. And then we discussed within the gathering itself how to open it, how to introduce good controversy throughout, and more importantly, how to end the gathering. And as you said, Maluka, all good gatherings must come to an end. And so must this podcast episode. And so just want to thank you all for listening. That was not a great example of thanking you all. I want to thank you all for your dedication to us and your feedback, because that's what helped makes us better. Maybe that was a slight improvement. Um, And if you want to get in contact with us and tell us whether you've read The Art of Gathering or indeed what this podcast sparked for you, then you can follow us on Instagram at experientialspark or you can email us by emailing experientialspark at gmail.com.